0: All right. good morning, RCC. Good morning. All right, let's try that again. You've had an extra hour of sleep. Good morning, RCC. Good morning. Awesome, yes, you should be excited. The Patriots have a bye week. They're playing the Dolphins, right? Uh, if you're watching online, I want to welcome you. Please comment hello or that you're watching. Uh, if you would like to give uh, online or connect with us through our digital connect card or take next steps, you can do that with the links provided for you above the video. If you are new, as um, uh, we, we just want to say welcome. We're excited to have you. Uh, you're actually a genius. You may or may not have known that because you picked a good Sunday. We're starting a brand new four-week teaching series on relationships. Uh, We're calling it relationship goals. We're going to talk about connection goals. Uh, Everyone's favorite word, conflict, conflict goals. Talk about all the goals over the next four weeks. So, uh, if you're here or watching online and you know that this would uh, connect with somebody, man, I'd encourage you over the next three weeks say, hey, would you come sit with me for three weeks? Uh, oftentimes when you invite a friend to church, they think it's a lifelong commitment. It's more like a Netflix show, okay? I'm just'm I'm not asking you to give blood in your middle name. Just come with me to church for three weeks. Uh, I think this will be a very good and practical series for you to invite your friends. We all love relationships. We all long to be known in the context of community. And we will go to great lengths to have a shared experience, Exhibit A. This is a bunch of people at the Grand Canyon getting as close as they can to the rail for the ultimate selfie, right? Because if you're in your teen years or mid to late 30s, you do it for the gram, and you know what that means. If you don't, get on Instagram, okay? Here's the deal. The Parks and Rec team at uh, Grand Canyon National Park have noticed a huge influx in tourism. And you might think, great, people are taking healthy vacations, they're going hiking, they're seeing God's beautiful uh, handiwork. Uh, No, they're driving or flying, getting out of their car, taking selfies, and then leaving. And the the, the park rangers don't know what to do with an influx of people that are sort of just using, I guess, I don't know, maybe that makes me sound old, because I'm getting there. Uh, They're just using God's creation, taking a photo and leaving. Uh, the picture doesn't do it justice, but down to the right, you may or may not notice that the park rangers have add they've had to add additional railings uh, because unfortunately people are falling to their death uh, because they're doing everything they can to get as close to the edge for the best photos. Uh, and, and this is actually something that if you're on you know social media, you'll see these articles and these posts and these videos of people getting selfies with their friends moments before. They're, they, they go away, all right? They die. Um, and, and it's crazy to me just how far we're willing to go to have a shared uh, experience. Jesus uh, summed up uh, our relationship goals that he wants for us, and if you're new to the Bible, sometimes it's, it's, it's overwhelming, where do, I, where do I start? And you know, because we're you know, Western American thinkers, we think we should start at the beginning and uh, end at the end, but that's probably detrimental. If that's how you start reading the Bible, I mean, you're gonna have a lot of questions and probably fall asleep around numbers. Uh, but, but Jesus summarizes the scriptures with two very profound goals, right? He talks about them in Matthew 20, it'll be on the screen love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is like it, but of lesser value, because if you get your identity and purpose and mission from other people, that's going to create idolatry and dependency. So Jesus is very specific when he says, you have to start with our heavenly father first. Let him define you let him give you your identity then from that you can enter into loving other people you know it's it's easy to think that simple relationship goals like loving god and loving other people should be easy to do but often the simplest things that we cognitively know we should do we willfully don't do that if if i were to ask you uh, as a whole how is our country doing with relationships Do you think we're sliding over to fully alive, healthy relationships or sliding over to isolation, depression, and suicide? Well, if you were to say isolation, depression, and suicide, you would actually be correct, which is sort of mind-boggling because the most awkward person in the world, Mark Zuckerberg, created Facebook to connect people. And studies and studies show, especially the younger you are uh, as, a, as a child, when you get on Facebook, and long amounts of social media interaction actually increases feelings of isolation, anxiety, depression, and thoughts of suicide. Cigna Healthcare uh, interviewed uh, or gave a recent survey to 20,000 Americans and asked them about where they're at relationally with loving other people. And here's what they found. 46% of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone. And this number has actually doubled in the last 50 years. 43% of Americans say that sometimes or always they feel like their relationships are not meaningful. Maybe a mile wide, but an inch deep. Uh, 20% of Americans say they rarely or never feel close to people, right? You have that feeling you're surrounded by a bunch of people but you feel completely alone. 47% 47% of Americans say they rarely or never have a meaningful in-person, which is different than social, interaction with others. This one got me. 13% of Americans say that zero people know them well. And you, you, you got to at least assume, you have to at least assume that of the 20,000 Americans interviewed, m- some of those people are, they go to some sort of religious Uh, building on the weekends, whether it's a church, whether it's a mosque, whether it's a temple. And yet, we're not doing so hot, are we? Uh, Because if stats don't care about your feelings, and if data is just data, which is black and white, uh, we may hide behind our knowledge of God and the Bible, but realistically, we don't really want to be known by other people. And yet, Jesus has said, the two primary goals that you need to lean into throughout your discipleship process and your spiritual journey are loving my heavenly father and loving other people well, and in that order. If you get that flipped, then you've got idolatry, codependency, wanting, wanting to always say yes, but you really mean no, and a whole bunch of other problems. And so today we're gonna talk about our first of four goals, which are connection goals. And connection goals really help us make connections in a deep and meaningful way with other people. And this is really a message, if you want to take a theological topic, about the goodness of God. Because even people that aren't Jesus followers, and you may consider yourself not a Jesus follower, you're here the first time or or whatever, but man, it is, whether you realize or not, whether you realize or not how good Jesus is, uh, the reason that he's so good, because you have really good relationships right now. At least, I, I hope so. Uh, and, and whether you're a Jesus follower or not, that's just, a, like, that's just a ridiculous sign of just how good God actually is. And when God created the world, he didn't anticipate 47 Americans feeling like nobody knows me. I'm not known. And that's, that's two things. That's an unwillingness to be known by other people and that's an unwillingness to actually take that step, although it's awkward at times, to actually get to know other people. In, in the scriptures, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Moses, who wrote, who wrote the Torah, the first five books of your Old Testament, says this, "'The Lord God said, "'It is not good for man to be alone, "'so I, I will make a helper suitable for him.' Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals, birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. I don't know what you picture when you think about God, but I think it's just kind of cool that God says, hey, Adam, come here. I got a job for you to do. I've created all of these animals. Whatever you want to call it, if you want to make up a word like platypus or donkey, I'm cool with that. Right, I think some, it's okay to laugh, guys. All right, the second hour you should be awake, uh, but don't laugh if it's not funny. But I just find that interesting that the God of the universe says, "Hey, Adam, I've got a job for you to do. I'm not going to control you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. And so really, be creative. Whatever you want to, you know, you want to call something a duck, an elephant, a giraffe. Go ahead. It's completely fine with me." So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, there is no suitable. Helper, uh, there's a super helper that was found. He, Adam didn't have a friend. He had animals, which are friends. We have a dog. Not, don't email me. Uh, but Adam did not have another human friend. Now, I grew up in the church, and I grew up in the Midwest in the church, so we're like really religious to a fault. And, and I would hear all the time in churches that God got a God has a, a hole in your heart that He can only fill, and that's it's, I always thought that was weird because uh, I grew up in Cincinnati, and it was just, it was just, it was just weird. I think what, the, what pastors are trying to say is, you just need to have a relationship with Jesus. But there's also a second hole that God won't fill. Actually, there's a whole part of the discipleship journey that you're going to miss out on if you ask God to fill it for you. It kind of doesn't make sense. Well, what is that hole? The hole is the need for human relationships. Even in a perfect world, right? No sin. You can, you know, run around the garden uh, and name animals and do literally whatever you want. I mean, no one else is there. Uh, in a perfect world, Adam still longed for friendship. Adam still longed for companionship, and so God in Genesis two twenty one caused man or caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the ribs. He had taken out of the man and he brought to her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of me. Hebrew translation, Adam Adam looked at Eve and said, whoa. Right? It's okay. It's okay. Right? You would too. The first couple chapters of Genesis, like people ask me like, you know, I'm not a Christian because the Bible doesn't support evolution or whatever. Yeah, the Bible is an historical document. It never claims to be a scientific document. You don't disprove the Bible through the scientific method. Like you don't disprove that George Washington was our first president through the scientific method because he's like dead. That's not a repeatable thing, right? You disprove the Bible What'd you learn at church? How to disprove the Bible? <laughs> you disprove the Bible through the evidentiary method. Do the writers say the same thing? When when things and countries and cities are mentioned in the Bible, do they like actually exist in human history? And what you have here in the opening chapters of Genesis is Hebrew poetry. And that, that's critical. If you're new to the Bible, that's critical to know that because there's something beautiful happening here in this text. When God says, or when the text says that God brought her To the man. Now, I want to encourage you to sort of look back on your life. Uh, It's easy for us to have different seasons, jobs, we live different places, and and think like, oh, I had these great friends and then I moved on. But if the Bible is telling the truth, then whether you realize it or not, there are key people that God does actually bring into your life. I mean, He's so good, like, even sometimes, even if you're not a Jesus follower. Which is kind of crazy to think about, right? And so when, I, when I think about my life, I think of Sam Ertle. It's crazy. He's elementary. Sam was my first best friend. Uh, we uh, did a bunch of stuff together. We got in trouble a lot. We had sleepovers. He uh, tried to help me get a girlfriend. That didn't work out well. Uh, and then, because and then, uh, we went to a private Christian school, and it only went up to middle or fifth grade, so we went different ways for middle school when I think about middle school and high school, I think about Brad Canning, uh, my youth pastor, and all of the men and women, the adult leaders that led different, we call them small groups, but different life groups throughout my adolescent years. Like, there's like human beings called adults that enjoy being around teenagers. And so I was allowed to smell. Uh, I could be ornery. I could ask my questions. I could say, man, I really hate my parents right now. They're total jerks. And they would say, oh, tell me about that. Well, it sounds like you're being the jerk, Ben. Here's why, right? And those people came alongside of me in some of the most difficult and awkward, but yet formative years of my life. And when I, when I think about my time in college, I think about my best friend, Cody Douglas. He's still my best friend. He's a student pastor in Missouri. We, we text and call each other uh, a couple times a month. Uh, he's sort of a health nut, he found CrossFit, he's a little crazy. Uh, and so when I work out and check in on Facebook, I do that because if I don't do that, he's gonna text me, hey man, I thought you said you were gonna work out today, what, what's going on? Because he knows I have pro- of a propensity to like go ham on a good Mexican burrito and not work out, <laughs> right? You may think that's shallow, but that's pretty, like I need people like Cody in my life. And I've been at RCC for uh, almost 14 months And so when I think about my time at RCC, I think about my life group. I think about uh, sort of the first couple of weeks of meeting with them, and they they asked us to share uh, our stories, like just warts and scars and all. And uh, there was a lot of crying, there's a lot of praying, there's a lot of hugging each other. And so I, I even now, a, as a pastor, I don't, I don't say everyone should get in a life group and then I, I'm not in one. That's terrible leadership. I need people in my life right now that God will send my way. Do you have those people? I'm not asking, do you have people that you work out with, that you work with, that you go to church with, that you go to the ball field with, play pickup basketball with? I'm asking you, do you have people in your life that will ask you, "How is your relationship with Jesus going, really?" And they they're quiet, and they're quiet long enough uh, for uh, you to answer them. What made Adam and Eve's relationship work? One word, with a weird verse. The word is vulnerability. Adam and Eve were willing to be open and honest with one another. In fact, in Genesis two twenty five, God says, "Adam and Eve," or Moses writes, "Adam and Eve." Adam and his wife, same thing, were both naked and they felt no shame, which is a whole other sermon in and of itself. But there is complete love and trust and honor with one another, that there is complete peace uh, in their marriage. But if you're familiar with the story, you know that the enemy came to attack them. (laughs) I don't know if the devil wastes time on single guys because we have a pretty good job of messing up our own life, right guys? <laughs> you remember college, right? Or military, or yeah, you, know, you know what I'm saying? But I find it interesting that the enemy comes on the scene after Adam gets married. To be married means to be in tension. And so the, the enemy, the devil, the serpent, the evil one, there's a tons of names for this character in the Bible, uh, goes to Adam and Eve and say, did God really say you, you can't eat from this tree? And it plays out like this in Genesis 3 two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. But what God said in Genesis 2.17 is this, but you must not eat fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to question the goodness of God. See, in the scriptures, Jesus is God. He didn't exist at Christmas when Mary gave birth to him. Jesus created the world. So this Matthew 22 stuff about love God, love people is really being tested out right here. So, so Adam and Eve, do you want to play to your strengths and autonomy like a lot of us, like a lot of what we do in our American culture? That's why we're so lonely, bored, and depressed, and suicidal. Or do you want to play to your weakness? weaknesses, trust God, And be vulnerable and be in community. It's your choice. Well, Adam and Eve chose to play to their strengths. And when you play to your strengths at your job and your relationships, it's ultimately all about you. And and that's a really thin line because you can't, you don't give yourself a lot of wiggle room to mess up. And so, because they chose to play to their strengths, they also play towards their own autonomy. And we like not following a God, we don't like being told what to do with our money, with our relationships with everything else in life, right? But what if Adam and Eve would have played towards their weaknesses? You see, when you play towards your weakness, you get community. But that takes a lot out of us because you have to like ask for help. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. And after Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they shouldn't have, this is God's immediate response. Where are you? Guys, where are you? We, we, I thought we had a good relationship here. We, we would, a- after dinner, we would always go, this is one of my favorite verses or phrases in Genesis, we would always go walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. Where are you? This is what, I, notice, the, notice the shift in relationship here. Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. What I learned in my own development and counseling is that guilt says I've done a bad thing. Shame says I am that bad thing. And this is where Adam and Eve are. Uh, I know that God is good intellectually because he lets us run wild and name animals and every day is a vacation. But I've just sinned against him for the first time. And listen, think about this guys and gals. This is the first time a human being is figuring out guilt and shame in their bones. They've never felt that, right? Maybe you try to show off at the gym and you 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 lift you know some weights a little bit too much, more, like too much than you can handle. This is kind of like the, this is my best analogy off the top of my head. All right, so that, that, that's kind that's kind of the deal here. Like, how much weight does shame and guilt actually have? I mean you can answer that for yourself and Adam is, and Eve are are bearing this on their shoulders for the very first time because they believe I've not only done a bad thing, a sinful thing, I am sin. I am rape. I am abuse. I am obesity. I am neglect. I am whatever I've done or whatever's been done to me. That's who I am and so we hide. And God says, where, where are you? I, I, I'm not leaving. I still want a relationship with you. And there are so many ways that we hide. And we'll throw all these up on the screen here. The first way that we hide is achievement. Uh, I make a ton of money. I get awards every year for my sales. Uh, I'm the best athlete in my high school. Uh, we use hu- humor. Uh, we don't know how to deal with sensitive subjects. And so we're a little immature and we crack jokes because we, you know, sarca- sarcasm is a great way to pull yourself and bond yourself with other people. But it's also a great way to keep your distance. And distance is something that we use uh, to, to, you know, we can be cordial and nice. anybody can for 60 minutes on a Sunday morning. But as long as we can maintain an appearance and not really be known, we're fine. And the last or second to last thing is religion. It's kind of weird to think about, right? We can hide behind our knowledge of God but not yet really know God, i.e. the Pharisees. And the last way, one of the last ways that we hide behind is vulnerability, or which I should say the lack of vulnerability to to be willing, open, and honest. I've been here for 14 months. I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm just telling you my experience. In New England, more than any place I've lived, and I've lived in New York, Seattle, like all internships, all over the place, there are people in New England that have no idea who Jesus is, but they went to church a lot as a kid, and now it doesn't matter to them because it never made sense to them, but they have questions, and they want community. I, 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 mean, I, can't, I can't explain it more than any other place I've lived. Folks are longing to be in relationship with someone that loves Jesus, goes to a church, and knows, hey, I'm going to ask you a question. This is probably kind of weird, but can I ask it? Can I ask it? Man, there are folks here longing to be known, to be heard, and to be seen. We know that. Research says we're not doing such a great job at being known by other people and getting to know other people. Brene Brown uh, is an expert. It's kind of an odd job. Uh, in shame. She studies shame for a living. She's given multiple TED Talks, which you should hop on YouTube and listen. They're very profound. And I want you to hear this clip, two and a half minute clip, of what her research shows us, or indicates to her and us, of just how powerful shame is when we choose not to be vulnerable in our relationships.
1: So I think the biggest myth about vulnerability is that it's weakness. I think a lot of people were raised to believe that. It was modeled, I think, certainly in our culture. Um, we see that a lot, that to be vulnerable, to be open, to be exposed is to be weak. Um, and the truth is, you know, what I found in my research is that vulnerability is not weakness. In fact, I would argue that it's our greatest measure of courage. When we went out and asked people, what is vulnerability? We heard things like, vulnerability is the first date after my divorce. Vulnerability is starting my own company. Vulnerability is taking responsibility for something that went wrong at work. Vulnerability is sitting with my wife who has stage three breast cancer and making plans for our young kids. Um, vulnerability is taking my business public. You know, the definition I use in my work of vulnerability is simply uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Vulnerability is about the willingness to show up and to be seen even when there are no guarantees. And it's interesting to me. I mean, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, I gave a talk, um, it's probably a couple of years now, and it was being translated by people doing American Sign Language, and they came up before the talk started, and they said, are there any words that you're going to use a lot in your talk that we should you know know about that or might be different? And I said, well, I use the word vulnerability a lot. And they kind of, there were two of them, and they kind of looked at each other and they said, oh, we do, we do this for vulnerability. And I said, what does that mean? They said it means weak in the knees, and I'm like, wow, that's not how I talk about vulnerability. And she said, well, there's only one other sign for vulnerability, and I said, what is it? And she said, and I said, oh, that's what I'm talking about. And so, to me, vulnerability is our most accurate measure of courage, I mean, it's pretty powerful when I have 13,000 pieces of data collected over 12 years that I cannot find a single incident or story of courage that was not completely underpinned by vulnerability. I think the problem arises that there's so many little paradoxes with vulnerability and one of them is that vulnerability is courage in you, but weakness in me. When I meet you it's the first thing I look for in you, but it's the last thing I want to show you in me. And so I think to really put ourselves out there knowing that if we do that enough we're going to fail, I just don't think it gets more courageous than that. Man, some
0: powerful stuff, right? I love when she said that um, vulnerability is not weakness, but our greatest measure of courage. I, I also find it true that when I when I talk to somebody, I want them to show more of their hand, but I kind of want to keep my cards close. And this isn't, I hope, hopefully for you, this is not theoretical. I, I really would dream of a church one day where we can be like as honest and real as, as we can. And I think, you know, whether you're Uh, a a boss at your job, a coach at a gym, a pastor at a church, parents of a family, like the leaders set the pace. The leaders set the, if you're a life group, the leaders set the tone, right? And so if I don't lead by example with vulnerability, I I don't know how much I can ask of you to do that. And if you're in a life group and you're a leader and you're not leading with vulnerability, kind of giving basic Bible questions and answers that are very safe, then I I don't know if if this is a value you want for your life group that you're actually going to step into it. I remember a few weeks ago, uh, a guy in the church pulled me aside and um, had to say some really hard stuff to me. And I'm not going to lie, when he left, I cried uh, because it was true. But he's the first guy here that said, hey man, doing a lot of great stuff. Love that you're going 80 in a residential but let me, let me tell you what's sort of on the per- periphery. Right? I just drive it like a rental, right? And the stuff that he shared with me was, was, was hurtful, but that's okay, because it was true. And I know that this guy loves me, and I gave him permission to share that. And let me tell you something. That's one of our first deep, and what I would say, meaningful interactions. I love seeing this guy every weekend, because it was the first guy that came up to me and said, hey, man, you're doing a lot of great stuff. Love you, right? kind of supported me first and then said, hey, I I think you're missing something here and I want to come alongside of you. And I'll tell you what, man, that, that I I still tear up just thinking about it. So I'm going to move on real quick, or maybe I should just cry and be vulnerable. Um, yeah, practice what I preach literally right in front of you. Let's move on. Uh, Chris Jamie, a poet said to share your weakness is to make yourself vulnerable. To make yourself vulnerable is to show your strength. So let's, let's get practical. So let's all take the vulnerability challenge. You can write this down on your program. You can open up your your app, your notes app, and write this down. But this is going to be really helpful, especially as we head into, as Andrew said, our life group series, Explore God, uh, if you want to create a culture of vulnerability even within your life group. So four four easy – they're easy, they're simple, but they're hard to do. Uh, The four easy steps to, to step into vulnerability is this. Answer people honestly when they ask. How are you doing? How are you doing? Like, what an American greeting. I'm fine, everything's good. Or, I live in New England now, so all set, I'm fine, don't talk to me, right? L- the level of, I should, sh- I should share this too, because we've made social media to be like a confession booth where people vomit everything. I should say this, show the level of vulnerability uh, that matches the level of your relationship, right? I can't know everybody in this room, or both of our services, and that's okay, and you can't either, and that's okay because we want to be a church that's inviting people to meet Jesus, and so we want to grow and help people on their discipleship journey and their discipleship path, and, and that's fine. Uh, but if someone asks me how am I doing really, and if you're not in my life group or one of my elders or staff, I'll be not. I'll I'll share stuff with you, but I, you know you're not going to get the you know the Oprah exclusive interview, and, that, and that's okay. That, that, that's completely healthy. It's fine to have healthy boundaries. The second way to step into vulnerability is to admit a weakness. We love doing this, right? No, because we're isolated. 47% of Americans are. But to share a weakness. How many times have you been in a relationship with somebody and you said, man, my kids are driving me nuts, right? Like if I could avoid, avoid 20 to life, I would have handled this last week. And, and the other person you're talking to, like, man, I, I, I get that. I remember when we were parenting our kids and they were in middle school and high school and just the blood pressure was so up here all the time. And I, and I remember my anger was a short wick and I would, I would yell at them. Sometimes I would, I would swear at them up and down. And hey, you know what? After, after my first uh, firstborn son or daughter came home, freshman year of college, we're sitting around the Christmas tree uh, she said, Dad, you said something to me in my junior year of high school, and it really, it really messed me up. And I, I went to the school counselor, and we talked through that. And, and I'm fine. I'm, I'm healthy. I still love you. But I just want you to know that really wounded me. When people are honest, when you go to them with a need, and you're honest, right, does that not glue you two together? And that happens when we're willing to admit a weakness, that we don't have all the answers. The third way we can step into it is simply to give a compliment. Here's the truth. Uh, moms and dads, uh, business owners, friends, we often have our heads in the sands with our own schedule. And we can, we can beat ourselves up so easily, can't we? Yes is the answer. And how many times have you just been so blessed by going to someone saying, man, life is really crazy, and they say, hey, stop, breathe. Let, let, let me let me tell you what's going around you. What's going on around you? You're a good mom, ladies. You need to hear this. You're a good mom, man. You, you're you're a good dad. You're a good son. You're a good daughter. You're not perfect. That's not the end game. But but let me let me encourage you at a thirty thousand foot level. It's not the sky isn't falling as quickly as you think it is. And the fourth and final way we could step into the vulnerability challenge is to speak up when we're hurt, to speak up when we're hurt. and someone hurts you, someone offends you, don't let that pass very long. Because we talked about this a few weeks ago in a message where if you let that fester in you, it's going to own you and it's going to dominate you. Friends, we have an opportunity uh, starting last week, this week, and next week, uh, for you to join a life group. you have uh, next step cards. These are identical to the cards attached to your program. We'd love you to uh, grab these out, grab these out of your seatbacks, fill them out, drop them off at the connection point, and we really want to help you take a next step to get into a life group. Uh, also in the lobby, there are life group tables, and you can meet some of our leaders. And we also have all of the available groups and new groups. Uh, out on display on the table so you can see what day and time of the week might actually work for you and your family. Uh, but here's my challenge. Let's not be theoretical about community because it's literally killing us. Let's let us step into it. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to worship together, and Andrew will come up and lead us in communion. But please, my friends, don't leave this building without choosing community and getting into a life group. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thanks so much for the gift of us. Uh, Thank you so much that there are voids in our lives that you could run and try to fill it, uh, but you would be subjugating yourself because you put that void in there for your creation to fill. And so, Jesus, I pray that we first and foremost get our identity from you and learn how to be vulnerable with you in our scripture reading, in our prayer time, in our communion with you, and let that flow into healthy relationships with one another. I pray for my friends that are contemplating, do I get in a group? Do I not? Uh, do, do I want to step into the possibility of being known by other people, getting to know others? It, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so I pray for their courage, that they would step in into vulnerability and sign up for a life group. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.